morning, especially those who are new to us or visiting for the first, second or third time, but not the fourth time, huh? I mean, you know. Now, we're going to be looking at our key verse today and the idea of becoming, as Eric said, and is there anybody who hasn't had one of our cards for the key verse for this year? If you haven't, pop your hand up, we'll get it to you. Just two, come on, three, thank you. Four, do we get any more takers? Any more? Going once. Right. There you go. I know you guys haven't had, you didn't put your hands up there, did you? Who else, who else put their hand up? Yeah, there you go, yeah. Brilliant. You can have a couple there, give them to your neighbor. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? It's one of the reasons, today we come to the reason why I wanted to, I felt that God was impressing upon me to bring this verse as our, as our verse for 2023. And it stood out to me as if for the first time, like very fresh, it was absolutely quite remarkable. And it says, Mark 1.17, follow me, said Jesus, and I will make you become fishes of men. And it was the word become. It's very interesting, isn't it? I'm fascinated by that word. Because none of us, as I said last week, are the finished article, unless we do have any finished articles. Anyone? No? We're all becoming. God is doing something with all of us, and in that sense, we're not going to be the same again. We're going to become something, someone else. Now, the word for become is the Greek word genome, which means like changing from one state to another or emerging from one point to another to become something else like a change of a realm or a condition or something like that it's really interesting now can you remember when you were 20 yes. yeah great look at this carol says yes <laughs> are you the same person carol as when as you are now you're not you've become the you now is not the you then, but you're the same person. You've become you. It's not the same, is it? The me that has become me now is not the me that was a few years ago, the same for you as well. So you are not you and I am not me. How confusing is that for a Sunday morning, right? How many of you would like your 20-year-old body again? <laughs> that's it. Put more hands go up that time. Yeah, that's it. I'm only 51, I would, blimey, I pulled my back yesterday, it really hurts. Did any of us hear our mothers say, I did, anyone hear our mothers say, I mean, add your own name in, but they're not going to say my name to, you know, your mum's not going to use my name, but uh, don't do that, Richard. It doesn't become you. <laughs> anyone? Yeah. Very interesting, isn't it? The same is exactly true for our Christian faith, my friends. It is exactly true for our Christian faith. For when you first believed, what you believed is the gospel, but you maybe don't believe in the same way now because you've grown, you've changed, you've been fed, you've been nourished, you have hopefully flourished, you've changed, you're not the same. So if somebody comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ today, we don't give them the pulpit tomorrow, do we? That would be 
a mistake. We help them to become the person that they are destined to become in Christ. That's why we need each other. That's why we need church. That's why we need to hear scripture. It's why we pray in conversation with God and with each other. It's why we sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs together. We're all becoming, as one body, that which Christ has called us to be. Which means it's not passive. No room for cultural Christianity here. It's laying down your nets and following the Saviour. And becoming what he would have you become by God's saving grace. This is why Paul instructs Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says this. It should come up on the screen, actually. All scripture is God-breathed. There we go. And is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So that the man or the woman may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's a transition, a becoming, a genome. So that we may be thoroughly equipped in every good work by the, 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 the word of God. By what scripture brings to us. How it transforms us to become something else that is useful. Because we never just have good ideas or good intentions. Christianity is not just feelings and thoughts. Praise God for that. It is the scripture as the word of God breathed out. That's the Holy Spirit. And it's that Holy Spirit breathed out that literally helps us to become. When I was a little boy, about seven or eight years old, so we're looking now in the sort of 78, 79 era. Remember those days? <laughs> when I was a little boy... My dad introduced me to the very peculiar ways of river fishing. Anybody here river fished? Anyone here sea fished? Yeah, more people sea fished. Thank God for that. So he introduced me to these strange ways of river fishing. And uh, as my dad had grown up in Yorkshire and he fished from the River Ouse, um, he told me about his fishing prowess as he was teaching me. And... I never, ever witnessed him catching a fish, ever, not once, not once. <laughs> Although I, I had no choice to believe him when he described the, the massive beasts that he claimed to have landed. Anyway, he introduced me to the fine arts of river fishing, the river rods, the, the very fine lines, the hooks, the baits. It's all a bit, with river fishing, it's all a bit mincy and fiddly. I don't know how, to this day, my dad's sausage fingers were able to tie such delicate knots. It was a mystery to me. But he always emphasized the importance of the right line, the right rod, the right reel, the right type of bait. And he always took a comfy chair or two for me as well and, uh, and a flask of tea. I'm sure there was a flask of something else as well, but I couldn't prove it. But it was particularly memorable when, as a little boy or a little girl, you get to put the bait on the hook, the maggots. Or in sea fishing terms, the ragworm. And do you know how to put a ragworm on a hook, anyone? Anyone seen a ragworm? They're like really long, creepy millipedes. And if you poke the top of them, they've got these little claws that come out like this. 
and you have to tap the top so that the claws come out. And when the claw comes out, then you put the hook in. And as the claws go back in, they take the hook with them. Fish eat that. And we eat fish. It's disgusting, isn't it? Anyway, where was I? Um, yeah, right. So over the years, we went fishing, right? And um, I heard the stories of old, the size of the carp that my dad would catch the fighting strength of the pike. I was amazed. Dad, when are we going to catch a fish? It's been ages. He said, soon, son, soon. <laughs> Patience is what you need. Now pass me, pass me the flask of tea, would you? Oh, right, Dad. All right, I'll do that. I'll do that. So the years rolled by. 1978, 79, 80, 81, <laughs> 82. Dad, are we going to catch a fish soon? Soon, son, soon. It was in 1982 that I had my epiphany that I would become a sea fisherman. So I got all the gear, I saved up from my paper round money, bought the mackerel feathers, loaded the rod and line with strong line, a bigger rod, a bigger reel, and I cast into the sea and caught four mackerel on my first go. Now I was hooked. Get it? Come on, come on. So I became a sea fisherman. I've never fished in a river since. So my dad, for, as far as I'm concerned, we'll have to get the flask and the paper himself now. He could well have said to me, actually, at one point, follow me, son, and I will make you become a sea fisherman <laughs> through my own inability to catch a fish. And just a few years later, while I was sea fishing with a friend of mine, we were walking from Portland on Chesil Beach, walking up the beach. We'd gone about two miles. And if you know Chesil Beach, it's shingle. So it's quite a way to walk. We had our rods, we'd caught a couple of mackerel already, and we sat down to take a breather with all our gear, and literally, right as I'm sat here on the beach, right in front of me, a massive shoal of sprats washed up onto the beach. Like, massive. It was like, it was like a scene out of a film. It was incredible. And we worked out that a massive shoal of mackerel had been chasing them and had pushed them onto the beach. It was amazing. So we raced down there with our fishing rods and our feathered line. I had about six feathered hooks and sort of my mate. And we loaded these live sprats on to our hooks and cast into the sea. We caught over 250 mackerel that day. It was brilliant. One of the most exhilarating, well, it was the most exhilarating fishing day I've had. In fact, if anyone's interested, I think, I think my mum might still have some in her freezer if anyone is. <laughs> She's a very proud mother. <laughs> So becoming. When Jesus gets hold of us, when our hearts are strangely warmed, we know that we will never be the same again. We know that we have the gift of salvation and that salvation is active, not static. It transforms us. It changes us. It becomes us. It's as if Jesus would say, not, not like when we were maybe being told off when we were little. Jesus is saying, follow me, it becomes you. <laughs> this is what we're called to do. This is why human beings are alive, isn't it? To follow Christ. It's the only reason why we're alive, to follow Christ and work out everything else around that one central truth. That Jesus Christ came into the world and died for sinners such as you and me. And once uh, people work that out, 
Everything else is window dressing. But Christ calls us to follow and we are never the same again. We begin the process of becoming, of transformation. 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is one of my favorite verses, puts it like this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image of the Lord from one degree of glory to another. One degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And this is what the New Testament calls the process of sanctification, becoming like Christ. To live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul says to the Philippians. Eugene Peterson has a wonderful book on the Psalms. You get the title. It says, A long obedience in the same direction. Step by step, little by little, day by day, moment by moment, the becoming becomes. The transformation transforms. The change changes. And have you all heard of Aesop's fables? I bet you know this one. The story of the tortoise and the hare. Anybody? Who wins that race? Tortoise. Because he'd read Eugene Peterson's book on the Psalms. A long obedience in the same direction. Just keep going. Just press on. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. The tortoise understood what the hare did not. Now, I'm going to finish with this. God set the heart of a young 18th and 19th century clergyman on fire. Some of you may have sat under his ministry. <laughs> all right, all right, maybe, all right. Maybe I'm just off by a few years. Anyone heard of Thomas Chalmers? Before he got ill, don't put it up yet, before he got ill, he was dull as a clergyman. Instantly forgettable. <laughs> Who wants that? He was uninspired and uninspiring before his illness. Then he had a serious illness and was laid low for quite a long time. And when he recovered from his serious illness, William Wilberforce had noticed a change in him. He had become what he was meant to become. And William Wilberforce called him a living fire. <laughs> you want to be called a living fire? I wouldn't mind that. Something changed. And, and, and Thomas Chalmers wrote about his own change in this, from this situation, this becoming as he called it, in a very famous phrase that some of you will have heard of, he called it the expulsive power of a higher affection. The expulsive power of a higher affection. My, my friend P.T. Forsyth says something similar. Maybe he got it from this. That unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is about us. So Chalmers talked about the expulsive power of God in the person that has to change all of the sinful desires and hopes that we might have 
to conform to the love and the mercy of Christ. The expulsive power of a higher affection. I want to read what he said about this. That was the big quote that you put up, Carl, but I'm going to read it slowly so that we get it. It can be quite complicated. It's in two parts. I'm sorry about this. This isn't all of it. Another 16 pages of these. He said, our problem is that naturally our lives are guided and controlled by a love for the world. What can we do? Resolve to do better? Try to convince ourselves that the world is not really so alluring after, the, after all? No, he said. That is altogether incompetent and ineffectual. For nobody can dispossess the heart of an old affection. This is the key bit. But by the expulsive power of a new one. We cannot choose what we love but always love what seems desirable to us. Thus, we will only change what we love when something proves itself to be more desirable to us than what we already love. That's how the power of sin is broken, when we realize that Christ is more desirable than the things that we love. He says, I will always love sin and the world until I truly sense that Christ is better amen so yeah jesus says follow me i will make you become fishers of men and the last quote from frederick buchner reminds us if you want to know who you are watch your feet because where your feet take you that is who you are. So my question is, beloved, who are you following? God loves you. Amen. All right. Thanks, Eric. <laughs>